Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Dear saints of God, it is good for us to consider the work of our Lord, the Holy Spirit, who is our comforter, who is sent from Jesus, and it's good for us to consider from the Scriptures what He comes to accomplish with us. Lutherans are often accused, have you been accused of this, of not dealing enough with the Holy Spirit, not talking enough about the Holy Spirit, of of not teaching enough about the Holy Spirit. And I reject this assertion completely, wholeheartedly. The problem is not that Lutherans don't talk enough about the Holy Spirit. The problem is that the Holy Spirit doesn't talk enough about the Holy Spirit. In fact, he is not interested in talking about himself, but rather about delivering to us Jesus, he, says Jesus in the text, will take what is mine and will give it to you. The Holy Spirit preaches Jesus. The Holy Spirit teaches us the things of the kingdom of God. So if Jesus is being taught and Jesus is being trusted, then the Holy Spirit is at work. When the Spirit of truth comes, Jesus says, this is in our, in our gospel text, John 16, starting at verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority or from His own resources. In fact, the text just says, from His own. But whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are coming to you. He will glorify me, Jesus says, for he will take what's mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, says Jesus, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, I do not know a better explanation of the Holy Spirit's work than the explanation that we have all learned in the third article of the Apostles' Creed. I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord, or come to Him, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the Gospel, enlightened me with His gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. In the same way He calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. In this Christian church, He daily and richly forgives all my sins and the sins of all believers. And on the last day, He will raise me and all the dead, and He will give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ. This is most certainly true. The Holy Spirit brings to us Jesus. His death, His resurrection, His promise of life and forgiveness. He convicts us of these things and grants us to believe in these things. It's marvelous that we have this morning from the very mouth of our Lord Jesus an outline of the Holy Spirit's teaching and preaching for us in the Gospel text. And it is quite beautiful 
For there are three things that are that are taught and believed only by the work of the Holy Spirit. And those three things are sin, righteousness, and judgment. Nevertheless, says Jesus, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I didn't go away, the Helper, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And verse 8, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So that the Holy Spirit would do his work, we'll consider these three things. And what it is that the Holy Spirit teaches. First, sin. He will convict the world concerning sin. Because, verse 9, they do not believe in me. The Holy Spirit teaches us, teaches the whole world, that we are sinners. This has always seemed strange to me. Uh, in this way, it doesn't seem to me like the like we would need to be taught this thing. It seems to me like if there was one piece of Christian doctrine, if there was one thing that we confessed in the creed and the catechism, if there was one thing that the Bible taught us that everyone should know, it's that we're sinners. If there's one thing that we could, we could learn, not by reading the Bible, but just by looking around at the world, this seems like it would be the thing. But it's... It's one of the ironies of theology, one of the ironies of the teaching of the Scripture, that this thing that should be the most obvious to us is not. And I can prove it. If you, if you just go out and ask someone what they think about themselves, what, what do you think about yourself? You just ask a person that. And do you know what the answer is? It's almost universal. I think I'm a pretty good person. That's what our sinful nature believes about itself. That it's pretty good. And, and this is where it gets a little bit personal, we Christians know better. We know that we are sinful and unclean. We know that we are constantly breaking the Lord's commandments, that we constantly fall short of His glory. We walk into this room every week, and the first thing that we say is, I'm a poor, miserable sinner. But even we Christians who have been taught by the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures to know better, to know that we're sinners, to know that we're not good, we have this false doctrine clinging to us that we're pretty good. Can you admit that it's there, that that false doctrine clings to you? I know I can. We are so sinful that we have lost the ability to feel and know our own sin. Our friend Martin Luther would often compare sin to leprosy. One of the characteristics of leprosy, as I understand it, is that it destroys your nerves so that you can't feel your pain. So you could, so you could cut your hand or you could stub your toe or break your leg, and if you had leprosy, you wouldn't feel it. And so it is with us and our sin. We're constantly sinning against God and constantly sinning against our neighbor, and yet we are so steeped in sin that we don't even know it. We don't know what we've done. It's like the man that falls off the ladder. I've compared it to this before. If you fall off the ladder and you break your ankle, you know it. Ah, my ankle's broken. And if you walk by a guy who's laying there on the ground with a broken ankle and you say, how are you? He says, I'm hurt. I need help. I broke my ankle. 
But imagine if the same guy falls off the ladder and breaks not only his ankle, but also his back. And so he can't feel any pain. Now you walk by and you say, how are you? And he says what? He says, I don't know. I can't feel my legs. This is how bad we are injured by sin. We have lost even the ability to know our own sinfulness. So that when we just think about ourselves and our neighbors, we say, oh yeah, pretty good person. This is how sunk we are into sin. We don't even know the depth of our sin. We don't see how sin clings to every thought and word and deed that we do. So the Holy Spirit has this first work to do, this first word to preach with the world and with us. He comes to us and brings the law to bear, to stir up our conscience, to convict us of sin, to hold up God's perfect holiness like a mirror before us so that we see it. And especially the sin of unbelief, of not trusting in Jesus for life and salvation and, and the forgiveness of our sins. The Holy Spirit convicts the world. And he convicts us of sin. But this is just the first part of the preaching of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says not only will the Holy Spirit convict the world of sin, but he will also convict the world of righteousness. He will convict the world concerning, verse 10, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you see me no more. The Holy Spirit then, and we rejoice in this, does not simply bring to us the conviction that we are sinners, but he also brings to us the forgiveness of our sin and the gift of the righteousness of Christ. This is justification. This is the preaching of the gospel. Jesus says that, that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of, of righteousness because He is going to the Father. And by that phrase, going to the Father, we're to understand everything that Jesus does to win our salvation. Going to the Father means then first going to the cross and going to the grave and going to the women and to the disciples after he, three days when He's risen and then ascending to the right hand of God. All of this is what Jesus means when He says, I am going to the Father. And it's because all of this is what Jesus accomplishes to win for us righteousness. So this is the gracious work of the Holy Spirit. And the most important work of the Holy Spirit. He brings to us the death and resurrection of Jesus. Or even better than that, He brings to us the fruit of the death and resurrection of Jesus, which is nothing other than righteousness. His righteousness given to us. Now, I want to pause there for just a second and talk about this word righteousness. Because I think I haven't preached about this enough, and it's the, one of the most important things that, that we need to know from the Scriptures. We need to be very clear about what the Bible is talking about when it says the forgiveness of sins because two things are happening. First, the first thing that happens when the Lord forgives our sins is that all our sins are washed away. Imagine you have a huge chalkboard and on that chalkboard is every single one of your sins. Some of you are thinking, that is going to be a huge chalkboard, right? Yeah, a huge massive chalkboard. All of your sins are there and Jesus comes with a bucket of water and he and he covers the whole thing he washes them away he makes it clean there, there, there's not a spot on it I mean that's marvelous this is wonderful I mean, can you uh, the, the, the thought of our own sins just crumbling into dust and and washing down into the drain but that's only the first part of forgiveness 
There is a second part where Jesus now takes up a piece of chalk and he writes on your chalkboard all of his good works. Everything that he did right. His perfect keeping of the law. His perfect obedience. His perfect love for the Father and for his neighbor and for you. All of that is given to your account. And that's incredible, dear saints, and wonderful. That's what we mean by the doctrine of justification. It's not just that God sees you as if you had done nothing wrong. God sees you as if you had done everything right. Everything as right as Jesus did. Here's a couple of texts. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake, He, that is God the Father, made Him, Jesus... To be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's not even the perfect righteousness of a man. You are by faith as righteous and as holy and as perfect as God himself is, if you can imagine that. The perfection of Jesus is given to you. Romans 4 verse 5. And now to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted to him as righteousness. This, dear saints, is stunning. That when God the Father looks at you, he is so perfectly and fantastically pleased because the perfection of Jesus has been given to you. The perfection of Jesus. The only way this is taught, and the only way that this is known, is by the Holy Spirit. We could never achieve this knowledge on our own, or this faith on our own, believing this on our own. The Holy Spirit brings it to us. He will convict the world of righteousness, because I'm going to the Father. And then the Holy Spirit has a third thing to preach, judgment. This might be frightful if it was our judgment, but it's not. He will convict the world concerning judgment, verse 11, because the ruler of this world is judged. That's the devil. And, and like our sinfulness, and like the righteousness that the Lord gives to us, there is a third thing that we could not know or believe unless the Holy Spirit would teach it to us. And that is this. The devil is destroyed. The devil is destroyed. This sounds like a crazy idea. Pastor, what in the world are you talking about? The devil is destroyed. Have you not seen the news? It's true. I will submit to you, it is true. That this world looks like the devil's kingdom. Like he is ruling and reigning and having his way. But the Bible tells a different story. And we are given not to believe what we see, but what we hear in the words of our Lord. Here's a few passages that I'll read to you, and then you will consider what it means. First, from Jesus, Matthew 12, 29. How can a person enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will spoil the house? So our Jesus tells us that he is binding the devil before he loots us, his Christians. 
1 John 3.8 He that commits sin is of the devil. The devil sins from the beginning. But for this very reason, the Son of God was made known that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus destroys the devil's work. Colossians 2, verse 13. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with Christ, having forgiven your sins, blotting out the handwriting of laws that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross, having spoiled principalities and powers and making a show of them openly, triumphing over them in the cross. Or perhaps the clearest of all, Hebrews 2. For just as the children partake of flesh and blood, that means you and I have bodies, he himself, Jesus, likewise took part in the same, that through death he, Jesus, might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. It doesn't get any clearer or plainer than that. Jesus, by his death, destroys the devil. The devil has been cast out of heaven, removed from the face of God. He's been bound so that he would no longer deceive the nations. Jesus triumphed over him, but we do not yet see it. In fact, Hebrews gives it to, to us explicitly. This is a good text to take a look at later this week. Hebrews 2, verse 7 and 8. You, God the Father, made him, Jesus, a little lower than the angels. Then you crowned him with glory and honor and put everything in subjection under his feet. But as of yet, we do not yet see all things in subjection to him. Jesus, dear saints, sits on the throne of God. He rules and reigns at the right hand of the Father, and he does all of this for you, for, for his Christians, for his church. Jesus is in charge, and Jesus is in control, but we do not yet see it. We have to be taught by the Holy Spirit. He comes to us and convicts us, teaches us this unseen truth, that the devil is bound, that he's destroyed, that he is judged. And that the devil no longer accuses us before the Father. Dear saints, the devil no longer carries your sins before the face of God. For on the right hand of God, you have not an accuser, but a Savior and an advocate. You have your Jesus. And he does not show your sins to God, but shows to God his wounds, his blood, his victory over sin and the devil for you. So the Spirit comes, and He convicts the world of sin, and He convicts the world of righteousness, and He convicts the world of judgment. We give thanks to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, that the Holy Spirit has done His work among us, and that He continues to do his work among us until at last he brings us to the face of Jesus. May this, the presence and the preaching of the Holy Spirit, may it continue to grant us comfort 
and joy and life, now and always. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.